1: I never gave a
0: second thought. I follow the family part of the lodge. I never came. Hey everybody. Today's guest is Brian Baker uh from Dag Nasty, uh Bad Religion, uh also played in Minor Threat, uh plays in the Beach Rats. Uh he's played with Junkyard, uh been in a ton of bands and uh he's been he been amazing in all of them. Uh I love Brian's style and uh I love him as a person and you know he's one of those guys that uh that that pave the way uh for people such as myself uh to to be in a punk rock band and have a uh, quote-unquote career at it. Brian picked uh, the Dag Nasty classic Can I Say to discuss today. Uh, Brian talks about how in the early days everyone got writing credit on all the songs. He talked about how a lyric like I defended what I should have denied is very much his style of lyric. Uh, Dagnasty, this is interesting. They recorded the entire album twice. Uh, I'd love to hear the the, the first take on that. Uh, Brian remembers sitting on his futon on the floor of a group house, playing the guitar and coming up with the guitar parts of Can I Say. Uh, Brian did not think that they were Making songs that would have been revered 30 years later Uh, Getting a real job was absolutely unacceptable For Brian, Uh, he had to figure out How to make being in a band work Uh, He talked about how not a lot of Artists were writing the socially conscious Type of lyrics that Dag Nasty was writing in the 80s Punk rock was still very much Protest music, and uh, we talked about How fanzines were the original Analog podcasts, and uh, I give a shout out to my friend Bill Weaver Uh, He was the first guy back in high with the play me dag nasty and uh, I loved him from the first time I heard him for all this and much more. Stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Brian, of course, uh, uh, started out in minor threat and, uh, then moved on to Dag Nasty, uh, formed in 1985 and Brian picked the song. Can I say, uh, tell us about this one, Brian, you know, when I, when I did a little research on it, um, I noticed that it's, uh, the writing credits were attributed to everyone in Dag Nasty. So did you have a hand in writing this one or Dave or who, who put this one together?
2: Well, you know, way back in the uh, 20th century when everything was in black and white and you were in one <laughs> band, what you did is you credited the, the whole band for everything. Right. So in some di- some cases that works out well for me, like saying, you know, that Ian MacKay, who wrote 98% of the lyrics for Minor Threat, uh, you know, when it comes to, you know, splitting up that t-shirt money, it's the same even for the little bass player who basically did, very little, to
0: right? But there was, but there was no money back in the '80s, so no one really gave a shit either, right?
2: You know what's funny? But take this. That's how we split up Beach Rats. Yeah, yeah, good for I, good for you. Are, that's just what you do. I mean, it's really, I don't know. There's a it, there's a lot of it, it's the com the constant argument. Is it? Do you, are you going to be democratic? socialist or communist using <laughs> using the most limited <laughs> the limited definitions the, the the dumb guy definitions of all three of those systems and right so for the most part uh there's been you know communism was the was the way to split up shit but uh t- can i pick can i say because um i did write the music and uh sean wrote a lot of the words i think in that day when we were that little everyone kind of just gathered around a notepad. Like Sean would have, you know, some words and then Roger would go, why don't you change that word from, um, disagree to fuck you. (laughs) Oh, that's better. That's stronger. (laughs) Good. And, uh, looking at, can I say, I actually, I texted Sean. I was like, what did you write? He goes, I think I wrote everything, but I'm not sure. And, uh, and I looked at the lyrics to Can I Say, and there's a couplet that says, I defended what I should have denied. And that's straight up Baker right there. That's, uh-huh. <laughs> that's so like, um, you know, armchair.
0: <laughs> armchair literature.
2: Brian. Yeah. but uh, So it's really, I mean, I think Sean wrote most of it, but I, I see some edit in the, in the lyrical portion of it. But the music I had, and it, it, the reason I picked it, um, is It is, I think, the first or second Dagnasty song that I had written and brought in. So it's, it's very early. Um, I don't remember which was, uh, I don't know if it was first or not. Right. Um, and in just spending a little time analyzing it, I just noticed, you know, I can kind of, now I can go back and see where I got, you know, where I stole from and how it all worked out. So it's kind of an interesting thing to look at.
0: Well, you know, it's amazing to me that, that you know, and a lot of times when you're talking about songwriting, um, I, I like to talk about the production because it it really lends itself. You know, some some songs possibly could have been, quote unquote, hits, but the, the production sound like crap for 1986. I mean, this recording, I mean. It's It's leaps and bounds above what else was going on and and the bands that I love from that era, even descendants, I mean, this record sounds so friggin good, recorded analog. do you Do you remember much about the recording process and, and what Ian brought to the table producing wise?
2: Well, sure. I mean it's I mean, it was exactly the same equipment and the same, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was, you know, God, I, I should probably know this. It, there's a chance that this is a 16 track recording. Right, And that might have something I would have to call Don because he would know. Because
0: I have the original disc, not remastered. I mean, this is the original thing. And yeah. no, no one would sounded like this in 86. I mean, I didn't hear a dag nasty till probably I was 15 and 88. So 88 or 89. And I, I was playing baseball and we used to drive to the baseball games on the uh, uh, school bus and uh, my friend uh Bill Weaver he had this Walkman and he's like dude check this out and it was way out of Denkos and it was the first time I'd ever heard you guys and i was just so struck by it because i lived in this little town it was a oppressive little town in florida uh our, our record store was the Camelot in the mall it was you know we we yeah. had nothing uh you had to go drive 2 hours to tampa to see a show and um you know you know what was going on in the late 80s nothing sounded like this and to go back now uh, Thirty plus years later, and to listen to it uh, with fresh ears, it's it's amazing how I, you know, and not not blowing smoke up your up your ass, man. It's just it, it sounds so friggin' good and and it clean. I mean, that that I got lost in a lot of the stuff that my friends were getting in quote unquote punk. It just okay, it's out of time, it's out of tune, and someone's screaming. That sucks. Right. Like right. I loved stuff with melody, and you know, it just it just sounds amazing. So, uh, do do you remember like how long it took to record? It was a couple of days?
2: Well, the reason—the only reason I was trying to figure out if it was sixteen or eight—is because I know out of step was the first eight-track recording at Inner Ear. Um, we were like the test; we were the guinea pigs, right? For him getting that—that uh, that machine, and I was just trying to see if maybe the Dagnasty record, if anything, had changed in John's studio that would have contributed to that. But I think it's probably just experience, um, that, you know, this is a recording that was done a couple of years later and you just get better at it. And, you know, Don and Ian know what they're doing and they have, a uh, you know, there's so many discord records that just sound different and better in my opinion than their contemporaries. Um, in Recording Dynasty I don't remember specifically what happened, but I've done a lot of records with Don and Ian, and my guess is this. We recorded it all in one day, and then we mixed it in another day. Would make it, would seem like what we would do um, at that time. Um, possibly two days of recording, because I know this record, this was a, we had demoed, the enti- basically we had made the entire record with Sean Brown. And I, and when we got Dave to sing, we redid the record, and so it, we may have paid more attention to, like we may have taken a little extra time. Um,
0: so, how rehearsed were you guys? Because again, I mean, there's 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 no pro tools here, there's no fixing shit. I mean, you guys, it, it's it's no. tight.
2: Well, we were totally rehearsed. We we're, you know, th- I had a pretty, um, I had a pretty serious work ethic, and so did the other guys. I mean, we wanted to be. Um, we wanted to be really good. And there's just a style. I don't know. It's just kind of the DC thing. Like we rehearsed constantly. Uh, we wanted to be prepared for this thing. Um, Dagnasty was a point in my life where I wanted to put together a band so I could get out of Washington and actually tour uh, in other cities. And I, I never got to other countries. I think that that time going to another country was still this impossible like walled off fantasy you right just, you know you never realized that you could actually i don't know why don't you just fly to london like no one ever thought <laughs> about it. <laughs> it's, it's dumb asses.
0: Well no, I mean just, just think about God, it's so hard to, to to think back then, but you didn't have, you couldn't check out London with a click of the button at a computer. It was a foreign world. It was there right. was and, fear. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it, it, but it's just funny, like when you go and you find I mean not to get on a tangent, but there were bands who are contemporaries of Dagnasty who one of those band members went, Hmm, well, I don't know, why don't I just call and see if I can find a promoter in Helsinki? And then they called somebody in Finland who answered the phone and spoke perfect English and said, well, yeah, you know, if you guys can, you know, take Finnair and come into Helsinki, we can do two shows. I Like, we just never even thought about it. it We're so dumb. Uh, oh, I really wish. But that that aside, back to the what you're hearing with this record. Um, the guitar sound, I didn't, you know, I wasn't into, uh, unfortunately, I was pretty into chorus pedals. Which is, can I say, I think has a chorus pedal that I never turned off
0: <laughs> the
2: whole time.
0: <laughs> That's funny. I don't. I don't really hear that. Um, I think,
2: yeah, there is. There's. The, I was very into this this MXR chorus that this yellow box that plugged into the wall had four knobs on it, and it's uh, it's now like kind of a collectible piece, and gear nerds are really into it. But it's it's incredibly <laughs> dirty. Like it's not a, you know, at the time we didn't realize that it had a lot of whoosh.
0: To it even right.
2: standby. but um you know i was playing a les paul through a stock marshall through a 412 with a chorus pedal and so there wasn't a lot of discharge guitar sound you know there wasn't a lot of that early punk that's a little chaotic there's there's tube screamers there's just mxr distortion there's just you know
0: yeah great amps <laughs>
2: yeah we had really good equipment um because it was important to us to have good equipment And you know, Roger went and bought a P P-Base and we had uh, an SVT and a Galen Kruger head because that's what you had in 1985.
0: Mm -hmm. Because that's
2: what the Descendants had, and everyone wanted to be the Descendants. You know, it was like you look at who's pro the Descendants,
0: right? Well, I just I feel like you know, whether unfairly or not, that the Dag Nasty just got gets so uh, overlooked. You know, of course, you hear Minor Threat, you hear Black Flag, you hear Descendants from that time period. Uh, but, but Dag Nasty and, and the sound of, of, you know, especially, can I say just this record in, in general, um, to me, and I love all the after mentioned bands. It's just leaps and bounds. There's something special about it. It's just tight. It's clean. The guitars are clean and it's unmistakably you, you know, your, your style, when you go to yeah. the lead, you go to the lead parts, you can just tell, I can tell it's Brian Baker and, um, and that's really cool. So go, going back to this song in particular, um, you know, you, you remember creating it, do you remember like, like coming up with the chords and and what, what, okay. What was that thought process like, if you could take us back? Uh,
2: yeah, I was, I believe I was living in my first, uh, I think it was right when we moved into me and a bunch of friends moved into a, a group house in Arlington. It was like, maybe 10 blocks from discord house and arlington is just across the bridge from dc like i mean you know it's when people you know in the historic dc that everybody talks about and everyone talks about the old 930 club um i lived closer to the 930 club living in virginia than i did where i grew up in dc proper so it was really you know this was a like a little suburb that was very working class and they would rent a big beat up house to a bunch of lunatics with motorcycles and bleached hair with a <laughs> an healthy obsession with Mad Max, you know, it was like, and I think I really, uh, when I'm looking back and seeing it, I think I remember just like sitting on my futon, of course, on the floor <laughs> of, of the room and smelling the fresh paint. that was a color that was available because someone made a mistake.
0: <laughs> Vomit pink.
2: Yeah. Or whatever's there. Ooh, that'll be weird. <laughs> uh, children. Um, and yeah, I just had, I mean, it, I, I know that I had, uh, the intro and the, which is actually the breakdown in the intro because the intro definitely had to have been me being very into discharge. I think I, I, I just really remember coming up with that kind of that repetitive blur intro. And then the uh-huh. breakdown is just that is just a stylized version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, At halftime, and right then, that's half the battle. That you have you have the attention getter that starts the song, and you have the breakdown, which is absolutely necessary if you're going to participate in American punk rock music in the '80s.
0: Yeah, you needed the mosh part.
2: You needed the mosh part um, (laughs) for sure. And it's not even so much the dancing for me. It was just like that's always that's the release of the song. There's all this tension, and then this release comes from when you get down to something. Kind of half or or something at a slower tempo, um, which I love. I mean, I'm a sucker for that, and it's such a great tool.
0: Oh um, yeah, yeah,
2: <sighs> yeah, and you- that you know that that one that act right there just define refine itself into quiet loud, and uh-huh. that you know that that is definitely that American tradition of doing that kind of songwriting um, is. Reflected in a more refined version in Nirvana and their subsequent success. I mean, sure,
0: yeah, the Pixies, Nirvana—that was all. That was what their careers were built on. Quiet Loud,
2: yeah, and great because it's a great idea, and they both made really great music. So I'm, I'm a fan of how everything worked out.
0: Sure. Um. So, (laughs) you know, it's it's almost hard (laughs) to talk about some of this stuff with you. You know, you're you're a hero of mine that became my friend, and I mean that with all my heart. And it's like I just. Did you have any forethought Brian when you were doing this record of that the influence not just this record Minor Threat just you know all those early projects the the influence that it would have I mean dude you guys paved the road by the time Less Than Jake started touring 92 93 the 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 the, the, the roadblock was was gone the road was open for us to do what we were doing and that's because right. of the bands that did it in the 80s I mean there was There was no rule book. There was no playbook back then. You guys were flying by the seat of your pants. Did you ever think that you were making songs that would be revered 35 years later?
2: Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Not even a question. And I think that's probably why they, you know, in in some cases that, that lack of expectation, I think, uh, makes something, uh, gives it longevity. I mean, a hundred percent certainly in minor threat, uh, I had this was a high school band for me, and I had no idea that it would become a relatively significant part of like the American, you know, alternative music sound uh, songbook. I didn't know um, we were, you know, not looking beyond, uh, you know, the next couple of months, and we didn't really think it was that precious. Which I think has, you know, I mean, we broke up a couple times. It's you certainly uh, the the interpersonal relationships of the band members were far more important than the music, you know, when you think about it, because why Why would you break up something like that as well? Because we, you know, we were teenagers, or at least a couple of us were, and we didn't know how to, we didn't know how to be in a band yet. Right. And, you know, that's, I mean, that was the thing. And uh, there's a little different thing to, to Dagnasty, though, is that I when I did Dagnasty it was after I had, uh, I had been in Minor Threat and we broke up and I was going to pretend to go to college and that was unsuccessful. And I was playing, uh, I was playing in the Meatmen Men with my friend Tesco as kind of like a temp.
0: Yeah. I've I, I read about that before. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, Cause he was funny and he lived in DC at the time. And I uh, had a couple projects that started and it just really kind of fizzled out. And I, I wasn't really, but the thing mainly was that I wasn't really paying attention to music. I was Music after Minor Threat, I kind of it was something I did, but I also was a motorcycle courier, and I was into you know motorcycle tracks and all all the. It's hard to describe, but it just didn't become a priority. And with Dag Nasty, that was a conscious attempt. I, I really I don't know if I just woke up one day, but I said you know what I need to get I need to get a real band started, and I need to get out and see the world, or I'm just going to wind up. Um, you know, fucking around and and getting a job. And that's absolutely not acceptable.
0: (laughs) In any way, shape or form.
2: Yeah. And it wasn't that I thought that Dagnasty could like monetize an empire. The point was, is it was, I needed to be doing something. I needed to do something creative and I loved playing music and I love playing music live and everything, you know, the touring and all of the things that go with it are equally as important to me as far as, you know, the experience of doing it is so beautiful to me. And so in Dagnasty, I'm like, I should do a band. I I need to play punk music because I know how. And I need to put a band together that people who liked Minor Threat and Government Issue and The Descendants would like because these are bands that I like. Like, it wasn't I'm trying to, I wasn't like trying to build a, like a copy machine. I was just like, look, I got to get my, uh, I have to get myself aligned on what is, what is it that I want to do? And I want to play music like this and I don't need to find people who agree, who want to do it too.
0: Well, and it's just, again, it, it is amazing to me, you know, you got to think back to the eighties and, and that was, that was my decade. That's when I was growing up as a teenager. And back then, I mean, you know, you either ran with the pack and you sounded like everybody else and you, you know, formed a metal band or a, or a, a dance band or new wave, or you went against the grain. And you were this punk band. Well, you know, going against the grain in 92, 93, 94, when Less Than Jake was starting out, you know, punk was just this massive thing, especially when Green Day and and Offspring and all that hit, you know. And again, the road was already paved with you guys. But back in the 80s, you were going to either follow the herd and be in some pop or metal band or some new wave band. Are you going to go against the grain and be a punk rocker and and do what you guys were doing? You know, by the time, uh, you know, Less Than Jake was getting going, 92, 93, 94, the road was already paved. And then you had, you know, the the Green Day and The Offspring and all that take off. Uh, and and it was like this thing, like you, you could be part of it and it wasn't weird. Being in a punk band in the 80s was weird. I mean, you were looked down at. And here you are writing these, you know, from Minor Threat and even into Nasty, these socially conscious lyrics. Nobody was writing this stuff. I say nobody. Very few bands. You know, yeah. you, look at, you look at these lyrics. What can I say? Why should I try? I tried to love what I knew I hated. I took a lie and I made a truth. I defended what I should have denied. I mean, where was this coming from? I mean, I know you mentioned government issue, discharge. Of course, you know, you were in Minor Threat, but... Where were these feelings coming from?
2: Well, I think that the key is that punk rock at that time was still protest music. And this is and also sort of like, you know, there's a little bit of like self-help, a little therapy going on here. This is this is a purging Um, and this was the norm. It wasn't weird that you would have lyrics that, you know, I, I mean, in looking at these lyrics, I'm sure that there were specific, uh, incidents that triggered, um, some of the language, but in general, you know, this, we were in the business of trying to figure out what the fuck is making the world go around and why are people the way they are? And this is a little different than, you know, that's a cute girl, or what are you doing on Saturday night? And it's just sort of built into that, that hardcore punk ethic. Um, and this is just, you know, uh, I think that history shows that the DC protests music was a little bit more about interpersonal, you know, personal politics and interaction with peer groups, rather than protesting a system or, uh, you know, uh, it didn't really have a lot of global significance in it, like in, in that sort of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dagnasty, this, these lyrics are kind of in keeping with what everybody was doing. Then um, it was just a natural thing. I mean, realize that we're uh, we're contemporaries of Rights of spring at this point. Like right. nasty Rights of spring, beef eater embrace. We all played shows together. And, you know, for, for honestly, Dagnasty were like the jocks compared to those guys.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, you guys were definitely more had more of a pop sense than someone like Embrace. You know, there was a little bit more melody.
2: Well, but also there was fast songs still. You mm-hmm. still went dupa da, Like they, they, you know, we had not a that that basic early hardcore beat um, is still half that. Can I say record? mm Hmm. Um. So it was more—I uh, don't know—I just we weren't quite as esoteric as those guys musically, and but the that that lyrical um, bent is it really kind of just a product of what was happening there. It wouldn't occur to me to write music about smashing the state or getting fucked up at that point, you know? It right, just was, wasn't it?
0: So so back around this time you know there was very few outlets i mean you had maximum rock and roll and flipside but like do you remember like the initial reviews and what people thought of it i mean this was a, at the time a new project
2: um you know i don't really know i don't really remember cuz there were so few outlets i mean they were right, just, <laughs> right
0: there,
2: were, there were a lot more fanzines at that point by 85 there was a lot of fanzine culture was really pretty up there and sure you know, I mean, just to take a guess, I'm sure Maximum Rock and Roll hated it. Um, and I bet Flipside thought it was good. <laughs> and, and all of the other, I mean, I, I, I know that we had, um, that people liked it in D.C. That That we had a, we built a pretty big following really quickly and people really seemed to enjoy the band. And that's awesome. I'm totally grateful.
1: No purchase necessary. Void were
0: prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, I mean, you, you know, looking back, you you had mentioned like fanzines. I mean, those those were the original. Uh, those were analog blogs and analog podcasts. <laughs> and by yeah. that time, that's. I think I first saw my first fanzine probably. A little later than that like i said probably when i was 88 or 89 and i was amazed by it that someone could create something in their bedroom and a lot of it was copying pasting stuff out of a uh, maximum rock and roll and flip side because they didn't have any content
2: <laughs> yeah yeah for sure i remember i yeah i mean fancy that was it was a uh I, it was really prevalent, actually. I mean, that's this, you know, we start out with Maximum Rock and Roll, and you, you know, I remember when it, I was first reading that, and I, I'm assuming that came out in 81 was when Tim started that magazine, though I could be wrong. But the whole thing for me was the scene reports where they had like, you know, satellite journalists in Salt Lake or in. Detroit, and it was all coming into this maximum rock and roll that was a big portion of the magazine is this sort of, and and, and internationally, of course, too. Right. Uh, the other people who weren't afraid to use a telephone to call Norway.
0: <laughs> uh, At $8 a minute.
2: Yeah, but you know what? So what? You get two minutes. It's, what, what? What's 16 bucks going to buy you now? <laughs> That's what I ask you.
0: Yeah, not uh, much.
2: But that that is then all of those scene reports turned into their own magazines. That's what was really cool. Like that's, and so you get, I, I, because I, you collected them on tour and that was a big thing. Like I still have, um, I have a fraction of the minor threat ephemera that I had collected over the years, just due to, you know, loss, loss of work, sales, <laughs> Yeah, I don't really have a complete library, but I do still have. uh, I always picked up fanzines in every city that we played, and so I have you know these yellow, uh, you know something from Raleigh, North Carolina, or the Gainesville, the Roach Motel guy did something, and you know it it was kind of as almost an equal partner to uh, to the music to the to the releases, and uh, a whole culture of itself uh, in and of itself.
0: So, take us back to those years. Um, you know, you you put out a few records in the eighties with Dag Nasty, and what kind of? Uh, and I don't want to get into the the you know the, the the breakup or this and that, but why do you think that it that it fizzled out? Because I I think you guys were just such a fantastic band, and just to hear the influences. I mean, uh, the other day uh, on shuffle, some propaganda song came out, and I'm like, okay. They lifted that one from the Dag Nasty playbook. It's just blatant. I mean, it just sounds so much. And there's so many other bands that have, have not only cited you as influences, but you but you can hear it in their music. And uh, why do you think that it just didn't I don't know, resonate like some of the other contemporaries from that time period that, that are still uh, out well, there? Well, I,
2: th- I think that there's a number of reasons. One, um, constant lineup changes. And, yeah. you know, having three singers is uh, confusing. Two, we didn't know we were doing anything important. So <laughs> yeah. it's not like I had, like, okay, I've refined this new sound that I'm going to make, you know, and then I'm going to thread this through subsequent releases. Dagnasty, all three records are very different from each other. They all have different people on them. Um, the last record is, not, is the least good. So that doesn't help your legacy when you you go from a a high point and continue to go down. Sure. Whether that's true or not, that's the perception. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's strengths on all the records, but I I will agree that field day it is the field day is a record written by. um, I mean, I had just discovered pot and I lived on the beach in you know, in Hermosa beach in LA and like, what kind of, you know, what kind of angst comes from that, that gentle, beach <laughs> haired fucking tan stoner kid who, who's in his early 20s who's never been to, you know, living at the beach. I mean, oh God, life is tough. Yeah. You know? and, and I don't, the songs are, I will say I'm still guilty of this, is that most of the songs I write sound like songs that I like already or styles of music that I get into. It's like, like Dagnassi, I was just at that point, I was really into I had just discovered stuff stone people like.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Because <laughs> I'd never been stoned before. Right. So like, hey man, Robert Cray's a serious blues man. It's like more on you like that's like being into John Mayer, you know. But yeah. at the time, I like, oh man, this is cool. I love strats. I just I just and and no one, you know, because there was no uh there were no stakes, there was no you know, we weren't, we weren't really tr- doing it. We were just going along. I don't know. Carrying well, on is a phrase they say a lot in New Jersey. you they're like, well, oh, just carry it on. Yeah.
0: Know? Well, I mean, if someone tried to play you Robert Cray when you were living in the, in the pink vomit uh, house in DC, you would have told him the to fuck off. I mean, yeah.
2: And I, yeah, I, there's, there's so much in retrospect, there's so much learning I could have, I could have used like so much, but I, I was just doing it, you know? Right. Well, um, I, 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 hey, Chris. You might know this one. Another thing about being a musician is not re- wanting to do the least possible <laughs> to, be, to have shelter. Like I will do the very least I can do to do to do to, you know to open myself up for all this free time where I'm going to do nothing. I mean, there's a <laughs> laziness to being a musician that can't be denied.
0: Ab- and absolutely, although. And I don't know. I want I, I want to see what, how you feel about this. I feel like I, it was definitely way worse when I was younger. I feel like as time goes by, I look at time a little more precious and I try to make better use of my time. Do you find that or are you getting less, more complacent?
2: <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Now I'm on, I'm, it's DEF CON 1. I'm just a, you know, I am, I'm a hundred percent focused on, on this. And now I have a legacy to burnish. So uh
0: uh-huh. I'm, I'm right. Well, Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I can, I can relate to that. It's just, you know, you want to build on what you have and, and for me, I don't want to, I don't want to lose it.
2: I don't want every, I want everything I do to be worthwhile and I work really hard at that. And I don't want, you know, the time has passed long past for clunkers and, you know, it's now, uh, somehow I've, I've kind of refined what I do into a style that is recognizable And it's about working on that and seeing what I can do with that. Oh, you know, it's a, it's a whole different mission statement now, because now I actually make a living playing music and I have done so for decades. And so I know that to be, you know, even mildly successful, you can't just be lazy. It's real work. And I treat it as such now because I'm, you know, I'm a grown-up and I'm sober and I don't you know, and I don't like Robert Cray anymore.
0: <laughs> they took your pot oh, away was, and you can't listen was, to it.
2: <laughs> you know, like what was, I didn't even know. Like I, all I had to do is like read one book about the Rolling Stones and I would have figured out exactly what was going on. But
0: yeah, you know, well, Zer- um, it's amazing to think now because I remember when you first joined bad religion and, uh, it seems like yesterday, yesterday, but my God, it was twenty seven years ago now, huh?
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: Yeah, that's just un unreal, and Basically. to th- to think that your tenure in that band eclipses pretty much the rest of the tenures of all of your bands is is remarkable.
2: Um, what can I say? It's a great job.
0: Yeah, yeah. And well,
2: I, really, I like working there, and I really love. Uh, I love the people I work with. So
0: good for you that that is awesome. I got a couple of things I just want to uh, want to discuss here, and I'll, I'll I'll let you get on with your day. Over the years, starting back to even when when you were a kid, and um, do you know when you hear a song, any song, like do you know immediately that that it's a hit, or does this do you have to hear it a few times? Does it have to grow on you and be like that that's a hit or that's gonna be a hit?
2: I know it instantly. Right. I, yeah when you're talking about listening to other people's songs.
0: Yeah. Other people's stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Like Uh, I always, I always use the example of, of smells like teen spirit. I remember being in college, my first semester and this dude played it for me. And I was just like, immediately I'm like (laughs) that thing that this is massive. This is a hit song. It has every ingredient for a hit song. Like you, you know that when you hear it. Yeah.
2: I think so. I mean, I might be a little, um, with really, modern stuff that doesn't have guitars in it. Like mm-hmm. I am, I am not a student of this, uh, of what's currently very, very popular with people. And I, you know, I I can't tell if I could listen to a mumble, mumble rap song and know if it was a hit or not.
0: A com- completely, still- completely agreed. I'm still talking in the yeah, and there's there's even some avant garde, post punk, weird stuff that ends up, you know, maybe being a hit. That I'm like, I, I don't get that, and so f- yeah, I understand. I'm, I guess I'm speaking from a standpoint of anything that's in the realm of a rock, even a pop song. Like, you know, as much as I, I'm, I'm not going to put on the, ne- the next Taylor Swift record anytime soon. <laughs> no offense, uh but you listen to some of those songs, you're like, okay, that just that screams hit.
2: You yeah. I, for sure, if we're talking about if yeah, if we if the caveat is we're dealing with you know guitar based uh, familiar orchestration, I mean Taylor Swift certainly counts in that as mm-hmm. well as does you know as discharge. I mean, that's still the basically the same tools. Um, I can definitely uh, know if something is in my a hit because of I, I it's like I can't listen to music without listening to how it's made anymore.
0: right, yes. And when
2: I'm hearing stuff, it's like, and something comes around, I'm like, oh boy, was that smart. I love that. And I'm never just sitting back and listening to music. I'm analyzing music. Um, And that's just a, that's a byproduct of what I've been doing with my life.
0: Yeah, that is so cool for you. to say. I mean, that just that's everything about songwriting that I'm so about today is when I hear songs is and, you know, there's something that <laughs> when we were first starting out that was primitive and we didn't listen to music like that, that that I sometimes wish I still had that that innocence. But at the same time, like the minute I hear a song, I'm, I'm immediately dissecting it. How how is this working? Why is the pre-chorus only once the first time, but it's twice the second time? You know, all that stuff that we, we analyze. It's, it's so to me, it's so cool.
2: Yeah, it is. But it's just a skill that you develop over all these years. And I, you know, I don't think I'm missing out much by not naively enjoying stuff and not want, and not being interested into why it hits me a certain way.
0: Right. I mean, right. I
2: think, it, I think it my knowledge of how things are made uh, contributes to my enjoyment.
0: Right on. Well, hey, um Gonna leave you with this. Uh, lastly, here's your chance to let the listeners out there know what's going on with Brian Baker. This is time for your shameless plug. Go.
2: Okay. Well, first of all, I, I'm never ashamed to plug. There's no such thing. <laughs>
0: as <to plug. laughs> Just
2: stay at 55 years of age here in lovely New Jersey. Um, I am doing a number of things. I uh, obviously uh, we've had a bit of a pause to uh, for live music performance and when you're in the people gathering business uh like me um you know that's that's kind of a a big shake-up uh and i'm trying to take advantage of that in some ways but bad religion uh would have been well still is celebrating our 40th anniversary this year um and there was a lot of touring and other cool stuff to go with it um which will have to be postponed
0: um and then of course you have to you know
2: they you have you can't use the t-shirts because it'd be the 41st year
0: <laughs> no one would buy them
2: who cares about the 41st <laughs> year of anything and i think by the time we actually get to play maybe we shouldn't be talking about how cool we are and be more you know maybe this should be the grateful tour rather than the <laughs> anyway I could go on and on but yeah the, the, the <laughs> we're gonna have to retool but i mean that's really that's my thing and uh that I just love being in this band. And that is my number one thing. I also have a new band called Fake Names. Um, And we just had a record come out on Epitaph. It's a self-titled debut LP. And this is a band that I am in with Dennis Lixon from Refused and two old friends of mine from D.C. who are also in just fantastic bands. Uh, Michael Hampton plays guitar, and he was in SOA. Uh, the faith and embrace, and any fan of DC hardcore will know immediately know who he is and the contribution that he made um, to our music there. And the bass player is Johnny Temple, who is uh, who was in Soulside, was a DC band uh, like more of a mid '80s, '86, '87 band that was very uh, very important, and also in Girls Against Boys. Um, wow. Just another cool, like more of a major label kind of cool esoteric thing. And these guys um, basically, I just started writing music with Michael Hampton because when I moved up to New Jersey, Michael lives in Brooklyn and he's a composer. Uh, And so he works from home and he's very good at writing music because that's what he's been doing for 20 years. And because I'm so close that I can just go up there and have lunch, um, we just started playing guitar again. I mean, this is a guy I've known since I was literally in first grade.
0: Wow. so That's great. you know,
2: out of this rekindling of our friendship due to proximity, um, we wound up writing music. And the next thing you know, we're trying to put a band together and we get uh, just, you know, that wind up uh, just next thing you know, you got a Swedish rock star singing for you, which <laughs> is, I guess this is what you get with experience. Like when we, want, well, let's just throw a little band together. And, you know, the, the pool that we're drawing from, I have to say, is probably a little different than the pool that some kids might be drawing from right now in, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina at their community college. I, I say this is the advantage. Yeah. experience that it's like uh, we found our singer um, because I knew Dennis from around and. Johnny and I were playing Riot Fest in Chicago, and he was playing in Girls Against Boys. I was playing in Bad Religion and Beach Rats on the same day. Double dip. The classic Greg Hetson double dip.
0: Yeah, the old move.
2: Yeah. Oh, it's a good one, too. And <laughs> Refuse were playing, and ran into Dennis in catering. I was like, Dennis, Johnny and I have this new band. It sounds kind of like, you know, Slow Dag Nasty in D.C. Do you want to be in it? And he's like, send me the tapes. <laughs> and I sent him some tapes. He's like, I would like to be in the band. And that's how that happened. I mean, another, you know, classic, no expectation, like,
0: yeah, but how fun is that to reconnect with, with your buddies and there's no egos and it's just about the love of music and fun. That's, that's beautiful.
2: Right. And that is, so that is my, uh, kind of grown up music side project. Uh, and surprisingly people really seem to like it. I mean, I'm, uh, I was even shocked that Brett wanted to put it out. Um, we made our own demo, um, and I played it for Brett because I wanted him to ask him if he knew, it, did, if he might know some like cool indie labels, like some small label, maybe in like Saskatchewan or you know, Fort Myers <laughs> yeah. that might want to with us or something like honestly. And he's like, no, this is great. I want to put it out. i was like, you don't have to say that. It's cool. Like, I, I know we're in we're, we're bad religion. I know. But come on. It's not a given.
0: Well, you know, I just, I did not know you had this going. Oh, I I missed that. I would I'm definitely gonna check it out. I'm looking forward to that.
2: Oh, you'll love it. It's great. Um and he and he really dug it and so he put it out. And now people are really enjoying it. And then the less grown-up band I'm doing is Beach Rats, which is my local punk band. And that is uh that's just something I think everybody has to have. You have to have that local, you know, ride around on beach cruisers and The people who drink have, you know, tall tall boys and paper bags. (laughs) And you're kind of cruising around the boardwalk, and then you cruise up and go to practice and maybe jam for a while and then go get pizza. Yeah. But everybody's 50. It's awesome. I mean, again, no expectations. But the point of that band is the interaction. with It's playing with friends. And same with all of these. You know, I've been so fortunate and that every band, that I'm in now is playing with friends. I mean, I'm still in Dag Nasty. Yeah. I play in Dag Nasty with Roger and Colin and Sean, the original three dudes uh, who I started the band with. And it is, it's like a time travel playing with those guys. It's, you know, just, it, it puts me right back into being 20 years old and we have the same arguments and the same idiosyncrasies and we make fun of each other the exact same way. We bring up shit that someone did to somebody else 35 years ago and rub <laughs> it in their face. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's perfect. So that's uh, that's what this has all turned out to be, is just me hanging out with different friends and playing, you know, slightly different variations of a bar chord with the last two strings ringing at the end.
0: Yeah, it's, but, uh, it's amazing that uh, the only thing that's passed is the calendar. You know, everything else kind of stays the same, which is, which is cool. All those uh, little inside jokes still get under people's skin. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) So great. (laughs) Well, listen, Brian, I'm going to let you go. Uh, Man, thank you so much for giving me your time. And, uh, you know, I'll be in touch. I I love you, man. Appreciate it.
2: I love you too, Chris. I can't wait to see you in person when we can get back and do uh, get back to uh, playing music with people around us. Yes, I,
0: I miss that more than ever right now. <laughs> that's
2: why I'm sure everybody does.
0: Yeah. All right, bud. Have a great uh, rest of your afternoon.
2: All right. Cool. You too.
0: I'll see you later. Yeah. Thanks. What's up, everyone? This is Jay Reason. And I want to let you all know that Diablo Zen Podcast is now part of the Sound Talent Media family. Listen in as me and the one and only Danny Diablo, a.k.a. Lord Ezak, interview artists from the hardcore punk, metal, hip-hop scenes, and beyond. We have conversations with guests like actor Peter Green, DJ Muggs from Cypress Hill, L.A. street photographer Estevan Oriol, Jimmy G from New York City's legendary Murphy's Law, and pro wrestler Vampiro, to name a few. If you're a fan of good discussions and lots of laughs, tune in and join the fun. As we near the end of the show, Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know, where each week I will preview a select band of my choice, tell you a little bit about the band, where they're from, where to find their music, and how to find them on social media. It's simple, really. If you'd like your band to be previewed on Krista Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. All I ask for is a good quality recording of a song you feel best represents your band. This week's featured band is Cassettes from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I love these guys. I love their sound. Uh, totally 80s. Uh, of course, cassettes were popular in the, in the 80s, so uh, the name fits, uh, fits the band perfectly. I love their sound. Uh, on guitar and vocals, we got uh, Matt DiStefano. Uh, on guitar, Jim Fox. Uh, Chris Hill on keys and vocals. Joe Robinson on bass. And Sean Ward on drums. You can find their music on Bandcamp. And uh, you can find them online on Instagram at... At cassettes forever. Here's a snippet of their song, I Wanna Know.
2: I wanna know what
0: The rap with Chris and
2: Chris.
1: So that was pretty awesome to have such a punk rock pioneer as Brian Baker on this episode, man.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I have to agree. I've, uh, you know, I, I was not going to lie. I was starstruck when I first <laughs> met Brian. Uh, geez, it would have been back on the warp tour, uh, back in the nineties. And, uh, I'm, you know, just, just knowing Brian now, I, I just, I remember the look on his face, like get away from me, kid, you know, cause I was just <laughs> fawning over him. But, uh, He's a legend, man.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty funny when you meet those people that are from the generation before of what you do. You know, when you meet your peers all the time, but the people that are from the generation before, that's always kind of wild and intimidating. And But, you know, Brian seems really friendly and nice like i i feel like talk to that guy for 1 minute maybe you won't be so intimidated
0: no he is he's just he, he's he's very and it didn't really come off too much in the episode but he's one of the most sarcastic people i've ever met and I, and and i mean that in a great way he's just really snide and, and but in a funny way <laughs> and uh <laughs> he likes to bitch and complain and uh it, he's uh he's he's awesome he's he's a lot of fun uh, every time we you know we get together uh lesson jake did a tour of Bad Religion last year and uh you know it's uh you may not have seen Brian for a year or two but you pick he's one of those guys you just pick right back up where you left off you know what you get is what you get with him that's cool man
1: and you know something you guys talked about on this episode uh is the fact that when Brian was was doing that thing we do uh and touring and things like that especially back in the minor threat days that was still like Touring in a punk rock band was still a relatively new thing. And it was c- maybe considered a dangerous thing or, uh, you know, it wasn't like what you and I have experienced of, yeah, you have this this circuit of clubs that you play and it's a well-worn path of, you know, the of the way to work your way up. It was kind of like they were. In the wild west
0: of what they were doing, you took the words out of my mouth. It was it was the wild west. It's exactly what it was. It it was. Uh, I mean, you know, bands, and we've touched on this in, in, a, in the episode with uh, with Rick Nielsen. You know, bands back in the seventies, uh, up into the early eighties they were out you know they're essentially cover bands you'd get booked into a venue you would do three four five sets a night and you know uh you know lather rinse repeat you just that was the thing and these punk rockers were going out playing original music in a lot of times non-traditional venues you know they'd show up at a vfw hall and you know the the police would be driving by and seeing these people with mohawks like oh these people are dangerous you know Mm -hmm. and uh uh, there was skinheads. There was all kinds of things that, that, that were going on. It was basically the misfits of society that were hanging out at a lot of these shows. And, um, you know, without Brian and uh, Minor Threat and uh, the, even the, some of the bands that preceded them, uh, uh, Ramon, Sex Pistols, um, etc., cetera, uh, there's no way that a band like Less Than Jake would have would have had the opportunity to do what we do. Right. And I think one thing that's really cool
1: seems to be, Uh, the thing in common with most things that Brian Baker is involved in is when it comes to the songwriting is socially conscious, uh, lyrics. And I I think that's really cool. I know your, your band and my band, we, we both, you know, have that element to, to some of our music, but we also have the love songs and we also have the, the personal songs, but, uh, the, the. The lyrics of of bands like Minor Threat and Dag Nasty and Bad Religion, like, oh, my, like that that is music that is trying to, in its own way, change
0: the world and 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 has, you know, and and that is such a a cool thing. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I had made a point that no one sounded like Dag Nasty in 1986. I mean, they, here they were, I mean, minor threat was, you know, pretty, still pretty rough around the edges. They were really punk rock. And, and, uh, you know, the lyrical content was, was a lot of the same themes and Dag Nasty, but there was a pop sensibility to it. Dag Nasty's recordings were really clean for that time. You know, punk rock was really dirty and raw and sloppy and, and, and Dag Nasty was kind of the opposite of that, but yet there was still this unbridled energy and angst to it that, uh, that came through. But, uh, you know, when I, when I heard them, uh, around that time, 86, 87, uh, again, I, I had never heard anything like it. You know, I was a pretty sheltered kid, uh, living in nowhere, Florida. And, uh, it was, it was uh commercial radio and MTV and they were not playing Dag Nasty. I could tell you that. Yeah, man.
1: 1986. Yeah. It wasn't Dag Nasty. It was, uh, uh, Motley Crue and Janet Jackson and Huey Lewis in the news. And not that I don't love all that, but yeah, there wasn't a lot of dag
0: nasty on
1: (laughs) MTV and the radio, but Hey, maybe that's a good thing,
0: man. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it definitely, it, it was, it was so different from everything to, to this, uh, small town kid from Florida that it really uh, stuck out and resonated with me. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I was just, uh, I know you were too super stoked to uh, to have Brian uh, on the podcast, and uh, it was uh, another another great episode, man. Hell yeah, it was. So, you know, I want to give a, a special shout out to all the listeners out there. Uh, thank you for uh, continuing to su- support, not just my uh, endeavors outside of the podcast and less than Jake, but uh, Chris O'Fallios, uh, our wonderful producer here as well. You guys, thank have you been, guys. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, we, uh, we as musicians are always looking for ways to, to stay busy. And uh, obviously touring is a huge part of a band uh, like less than Jake, um, but, uh, you know, aside from myself, the guys in my band uh, have been staying busy as well. Uh, I'd like to give a, sh- give a big shout out right now to Mr. Roger Lima, the bass player for Less Than Jake. Uh, Roger has a studio called Mode House Recording Studio uh, down in Gainesville, Florida. And uh, it's where Less Than Jake recorded a ton of our projects over the years, our See the Light record in 2013, uh, our EP Sound the Alarm in 2017, and our most recent record that is coming out soon, uh, Silver Linings, was tracked there. Uh, Roger's available for mastering, mixing, tracking, producing, editing, uh, all the above and then some. Uh, you can email him directly. Go to Rehasher.com. That's R-E-H-A-S-H-E-R.com, Rehasher.com. Or you can find him on Facebook at Moat recording studio uh roger would like to hear from you and uh he'll take good care of you. so one just want to give a shout out to my bro we're all we're all trying to uh to navigate these uh these waters while we're not on tour chris yeah dude roger's a beast too that
1: last tour that punchline did with Lesson jake when he first let us hear that new suicide machines album we were like
0: whoa yeah he did the latest <laughs> suicide machines record uh, revolution spring and that thing uh, came out awesome Dude, yeah.
1: If you're if you're on the fence about going with Roger, go listen to Revolution Spring and you will be convinced. Give him some um, love. Hell yeah. Yeah. And also I want to thank everybody who listened, who contributed on Krista makes a difference.com. Uh, we now have a monthly cause that we like to get behind. And our very first one was big brothers and big sisters of the Laurel region. That's near me. I asked Chris if uh, that could be our first one and he was all about it. And we set a goal of a thousand dollars. We didn't know what to expect and you guys already surpassed that, but let's keep it going. We got a couple more weeks to go. If you guys enjoy the podcast, It's a free podcast. We don't charge anything for this podcast. Uh, All we ask is that if you can chip in a buck or two or three bucks, uh, you know, the the cost of a um, Dr. Pepper, (laughs) if you add that up uh, among thousands of people that subscribe to our podcast, that can add up and help a lot of kids. So I think that's really cool. Just go to ChrisDemakesADifference.com.
0: Right on. Thanks to each and every one of you for your generosity. and We will see you next week.